Over the, the last several uh, weeks, really since the, the beginning of the new year, we've kind of been working through um, a series of looking at um, one of the, the words that's in uh, our vision statement here at Spring Creek. Uh, that vision statement says, growing, sharing, serving, connected by Jesus. And we've been kind of looking at that sharing part in particular. And what does it look like for us to share um, the, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? What, do, what does that look like in our day, in our age, and uh, in our community? Um, and so we've been kind of looking at that together, uh, looking at the ways that we participate in the mission of God. And we've talked in the last couple of weeks about uh, the mission of God is to alert everyone to the universal reign of God in Christ. That is that Jesus is Lord um, over all. And uh, Jesus' lordship over all, uh, all humanity, all creation, um, impacts us and touches us in, in different ways. Um, and so just kind of looking at what that means. Um, we looked a couple weeks ago at John 3.16, God so loved the world. All right, you guys didn't forget it yet, so that's good. I uh, sent his son uh, to, to save the world, not to condemn the world. And then after that, we looked at uh, later in, in John's gospel, Jesus uh, is back from the, raised from the dead. He, he's come back. He's in the midst of his disciples. And he tells them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is passing his mission uh, on to the disciples, on to his followers, and, and um, breathing into them uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked uh, in, in the past weeks then about how, um, a little bit about what it means to be sent like Jesus was sent. And two patterns that we talked about, one is incarnation, which means that we are called to be with people, to spend time with people, uh, to live life in, in the, the ups and downs with family and, and neighbors and coworkers and those that, that God puts into our lives. We're supposed to, to live life with them, to be with them, and to, in, in moments that, that come and, and go, to um, live out the reign of God and to announce the reign of God, to let them know that, that Jesus loves them and, and Jesus is worthy working in their lives and um, announce uh, and alert people to his, his reign. The second one of those patterns then is to live in a cruciform way or a Christ-formed way. The, the pattern of Jesus is self-sacrificial love, coming and emptying himself uh, for the good of those around him, loving and caring and, and being vulnerable and, and even giving up his own welfare for the good of those around him. And, and we, not, we aren't expected to go and, and die for the sins of humanity or die for the sins of our, our neighbor. That's already been done. Um, but we are called to, to follow Jesus, uh, to love them in self-sacrificial ways. Uh, and so that's what it means for us to live in that cruciform pattern. 
Um, last week we talked about the motivations uh, that, that might drive us to, to share the, the good news of Jesus. Um, that we talked about how God is motivated by love for God so loved the world. Um, and that love risks vulnerability and even dying uh, to self for the good of others. Dying on the, Jesus dies on the cross for others. And last week we looked at the story of Jonah as a prophet who seems to, uh, at the end of the story, kind of miss the point. He doesn't abide with the people. He doesn't stay with the people. He goes outside the city uh, to watch what God's going to do. Um, you, you know, we didn't, it's not altogether clear what Jonah's motivation is there at the end, but he's, he's pretty upset when God doesn't bring destruction down uh, on the people of Nineveh. He's pretty upset about that. Uh, he doesn't abide with the people. He gets out of, the, out of town to save his own hide. Um, and so we looked at some, some bad motivations that we might have for sharing what is still the good news. Uh, and I'm not sure if I, I was thinking about that this week still. Um, not sure if I properly highlighted that God does work a miracle in the people of Nineveh. They do confess and repent, despite whatever Jonah's motivation is in coming to the town. Whether he's coming because he's hoping to watch his enemies wiped from the face of the earth, or, you know, whatever his motivation is, just trying to um, fulfill the task that God has given to him, or whether he does have some part of him actually cares about the people of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh respond... And despite what would appear to me to be questionable motives on the part of Jonah, God's word is effective. And I, I believe this happens all the time, that despite what might be poor motives on our part or, or bad approaches to, uh, approaches to sharing the kingdom, that somehow people see or hear a, a glimpse uh, of God's kingdom and they respond because it's never about something that we do to someone else. <clears throat> it's always about what the Holy Spirit is working in their lives, what, and the Holy Spirit is, is, is reforming and reshaping them and, and opening their, their ears and their lives to the good news of what Jesus is doing. But, but those who uh, claim to be Christ followers, those of us in the church, should be trying to align more and more closely with the example and the heart of Jesus. And uh, I think just because someone starts to claim Jesus as Lord despite our poor motives or despite our bad approaches doesn't mean that we should continue those bad approaches or, or those poor motives. Um, I shared a story last week about a, a church down in Texas that was um, basically trying, my interpretation is, bribe people to show up to a, a worship service on Easter Sunday. And they offered all of these um, uh, prizes to visitors that were going to be coming, and they included all kinds of iPads and tech gadgets, and they were giving away some cars on Easter Sunday, trying to get people to show up on Sunday morning. And of course, people did come. And when I first read this story, uh, one of the things that I needed to wrestle with is what happens if in that moment with what I would say was just a bad approach, I, I don't think we should be trying to bribe people uh, to show up at a church service on Sunday morning. But what happens if in that moment someone 
genuinely starts to have a relationship with Jesus? What happens if that's the moment in whatever else was happening with cars and iPads and other stuff, someone had a genuine experience and, and starts to align their life with Jesus? What happens if they commit their life to the Lordship of Christ and genuinely uh, begin to orient their life towards the reign of God that morning? Does the end justify the means? And I would say no. That's my response. Uh, maybe you have a slightly different one. That's okay. Um, I think that church should seek to become more Christ-like along with the person who is exploring for the first time what it means to participate in the kingdom of God. And so... Um, uh, it, it is wonderful and, and continues to be a miracle that God works and God's word goes out and is effective even when we are not effective, even when our motives might be not pure motives. Um, just like in the story of Nineveh where people are, are responding and repenting and, and, and confessing, that is a beautiful thing. And whatever Jonah's motives are, I think are kind of a, a separate uh, conversation. This morning, I want to shift a little bit uh, to some more practical ways for us to engage in alerting people to the reign of God. And I think this story in Luke chapter 10 uh, kind of gives us a little bit of a model uh, that might impact the way that you and I are sent out uh, to uh, alert people to the reign of God. And so as we kind of we're going to be moving through Luke chapter 10. Uh, if it's helpful to have that open in your Bible, uh, I encourage you to do that so you can walk with us through this, this passage. Uh, but would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you uh, for the opportunity that you give us to partner with you in what you are doing in the world around us, in the lives of those around us. I pray that you would be uh, speaking us, to us this morning through me or despite me. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 10, um, there's, there's some things I think that are important for us to understand about where this story is at in Luke chapter 10. Already Jesus has gathered his, his 12 apostles and has sent them out on a missionary journey. In fact, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record uh, Jesus gathering his 12 together and sending them out on um, a similar missionary journey. Uh, and Mark tells us that when Jesus sends out the 12, that he partners them up. He sends them out two by two as well. In this passage then in Luke chapter 10, here Jesus is sending out, and depending on your translation, it might say 70, it might say 72. Um, that's a minor textual thing that relates to Greek Old Testament and Hebrew Old Testament. Um, Jesus is sending out his followers. Um, it actually connects back to Genesis. In Genesis, there is a, a, a listing of the 70 uh, nations of the world. And, so, uh, and then in Exodus, uh, Moses appoints 70 elders to help him in administrating uh, the, the nation of Israel as it's out in the wilderness. And so here Jesus is selecting, uh, calling 70 or 72 um, and sending them out 
ahead of Jesus uh, to kind of pave the way, proclaim uh, that the kingdom uh, of God is near, and to kind of get things ready for him in places that he is planning to go. Um, one commentary suggested that these 70 might be all of Jesus' followers at this point. It might be him kind of collecting the people that are actively kind of following him and saying, I'm, I'm sending you out ahead, which is really interesting because these 70 certainly didn't have the, um, the training as it was of, of even the 12, Right? This, is a, this is a larger group of people, and Jesus is, is sending them out. Uh, I think sometimes growing as a disciple of Jesus is about doing and learning at the same time, and certainly uh, these 70, as they are sent out, are going to be learning a lot. Jesus is, when they come back, Jesus is going to sit down and debrief with them, um, kind of see what happened and, and, and help them grow in their understanding of um, what it means to follow Jesus and what the kingdom of God is really about. Um, and so in this instance, this is a, a, a discipleship by doing, not just by learning. Um, they're out doing things. But what's interesting in this passage, well, there's a number of things I think that are interesting in this passage, is the way that Jesus sends these followers out in pairs, Back in Exodus, in, in the law that Moses gives, um, it, it required the testimony of at least two people to confirm uh, a story. And so Jesus is meeting this requirement of the Mosaic law. He's sending them out two by two so that they can kind of confirm and, and collaborate and, and share the testimony of what they're experiencing with Jesus. And this is a, a valid testimony in the ancient Jewish world. But this sending out in pairs, this sending out in, in these small groups is a practice that continues to be um, put into, into practice throughout Acts and, and throughout the, the New Testament. We'll see in, in the book of Acts where Peter and John kind of partner together and are sent out. Paul and Barnabas uh, are, are together and sent out. Barnabas and Mark are sent out together. Paul and Silas are sent out together. In fact, um, you know, Paul gets a lot of the, the press for his missionary journeys, but all of those missionary journeys, he's got others with him. It's not Paul on, on solo missions for Jesus. It's Paul with others. Sometimes he is the teacher and sometimes he is the student. Early on in Paul's life, he's going out with others and he's watching what they're doing. Others are instructing Paul. Uh, in fact, even in, in Paul's writings, uh, some of them are written by Paul's hand and some are Paul uh, dictating to uh, a helper, to an assistant, what he should write. And so uh, throughout uh, the rest of the New Testament, this, this idea that we are sent out with others is really important as the message goes out. I think this happens, um, being sent with others means that it's not just up to you. You're not out there doing it by yourself. It also includes discerning with others uh, where and to whom are you being sent. 
being sent with others is also an opportunity for discipleship. Often uh, we think of discipleship maybe as gaining head knowledge, learning, learning more about um, the stories of the Bible, learning more about um, the good news from um, kind of, you know, what, what is the story of Jesus and how does this, this impact us? And that is all really good stuff. That's a, an important part of uh, discipleship. But also discipleship is or should be um, more along the lines of a mentor-apprentice kind of relationship where we are helping others to, to grow by doing, by getting out there and, and living life together and interacting uh, together and helping each other um, discern what it looks like to live in relationship with Jesus. And so we learn while doing. The 12 apostles learned by watching Jesus and then also learning on the job. Paul learns from others and takes others along to learn from him. And that pattern is kind of like you take somebody with you and you say, I'll do it and you watch and then we'll do it together and then you're going to do it and I'm going to watch. And while we're doing that, you're going to bring somebody along so that they can watch. And we keep helping one another grow and learn more and more about what it looks like to be sent people. That group of people is really helpful in discerning the context, discerning uh, where you are sent, whether you are, you know, if you're sent to sco a school, a particular school, that's great. Who goes with you? Or are you sent to a, a specific neighborhood? That's wonderful. Who's going with you? Or, or you're sent to this, this social group of people. Wonderful. Who's going with you? We're not sent out by ourselves. Sometimes this means being a, uh, a team of missionaries, and sometimes it means being a missionary team. I have that in your, in your sermon notes, team of missionaries or missionary team. A team of missionaries is a group of individuals that are sent to different places, but they meet for mutual encouragement. That's a little bit of you know, our traditional church is... Uh, We've all got our individual lives. Um, we are sent to our individual places of work and, you know, business and groceries and families and things like that. And yet we come back together to, to worship. We come back for uh, discipleship and, and discerning and encouragement together. Uh, and then we are sent back out. But also sometimes uh, folks gather in missionary teams where a group of people comes and they share a common mission together. And they say, we as a group of people are going to go and reside in this community and live out the kingdom of God in that particular place and we're going to do it together. Or we as a, a small group are going to go to um, this social group. Maybe it's refugees. You have a passion uh, for ministering uh, to refugees that are coming to this place and you go with a group of people and, and that is going to be your collective uh, focus uh, of ministering to them, uh, of, of demonstrating and announcing uh, what the reign of God looks like uh, to the folks in those 
situations. And so it's not really one versus the other. Uh, In the traditional church, we've probably oriented towards that team of missionaries, but perhaps we also need to consider what it might look like for a team of missionaries to very um, intentionally go and live out in a context the reign of God. And so a question for us to ask ourselves is with whom are you being sent? Who are your partners in the mission of God? A book that uh, we read in a, in a combined Sunday school class last summer uh, written by Mike Frost, he talks about having small groups of people who meet for discipleship, nurture, and accountability. He calls them DNA groups. And he talks about being together and talking about who are you discipling and who is discipling you. Um, No matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, you should be meeting with others that are helping to form and shape you and who you are helping to uh, form and shape them. Who are you helping to nurture and who is helping to nurture you? Who are you keeping accountable and... Who do you help keep, who keeps you accountable? Another thing in this uh, passage that I find interesting is the way that Jesus instructs them to go out. In verses 3 and 4 he says, Go on your way, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. And he tells them to carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And when I read that, I, I wonder why, why the, the tight rules of engagement? Like, why are, why are we being so restrictive here on exactly how you can go and, you know, um, no carry-ons, uh, don't stop on the way, um, just go out? Jesus talks about them going out as lambs amidst wolves. I think he's telling them to, to go in innocence, not to go with power. They're not going out to, to um, crusade. They're not going out uh, as like the Middle Ages crusaders. They're not going out uh, in, in strength and power. They're going out in that cruciform pattern of Jesus. And they're sent not taking provisions along for the journey. And they're going out and they're being sent. They're forced to trust in God. But also, they're forced to rely on the kindness of others. I don't think Jesus is, is forcing them to go out and live an ascetic lifestyle. In some ways, they're kind of following in the pattern of John the Baptist as far as they're going out and they're kind of preparing the way for Jesus. But I don't think Jesus is expecting these 70 to go out in, in camel skins and eat locusts and honey. But he is sending them out simply, very simply. And they will need to rely on people who might not be followers of Jesus yet. He sends them out and they're going to have to rely on others. And as they go out, uh, Jesus tells them, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on that person, but if not, it will return to you. Um, this is kind of strange language for us because we don't generally go into a house and say peace to you and wait for that 
end also to you kind of response. And if they don't say the, the right thing, we say, well, I'm taking my peace back. You can't have it and walk out the door. Uh, this is a very ancient Jewish way of, of um, extending shalom, of uh, extending that there and, and having that reciprocated. Okay, so it's a very uh, ancient Jewish way of extending this greeting. But Jesus says they are looking for persons of peace. Tom Marshall says that the person of peace is the person who opens the way for the gospel to enter one's social group or even their village. These might be friends, they might be family, they might be colleagues that open up space for you to, to meet with others and allow you entrance into, onto their turf. That, that open up uh, the context, the neighborhood, the relationships for you to enter in and to see what God is doing in that place. This is not about colonizing a people by coming into a context that doesn't want you there. So this isn't about using someone to get into a space or with a group of people and then, and then you pull out the, the bullhorn and start selling someone Jesus. This isn't about that. It may be about entering into a context with people and facing a particular challenge and you beginning to open the eyes, uh, beginning to open your eyes to how God's reign might be made manifest in that context. Means meeting with someone who opens up space to be with those who are struggling to make ends meet. And, and someone is that person of peace that allows you kind of entrance in, into that space and, and you start to interact with those, those folks in that context. Or, or it might mean connecting with someone who has connections to communities of refugees and this is a person that can kind of open those doors for you. That, that can help you uh, see what it's like to be uh, a refugee fleeing from different parts of the world and, and trying to uh, find safety and, and some glimpse of wholeness in a new place. Or it might mean connecting with others caught in, in cycles of addictions. These might be one of the spaces that God sends you, sends us. But remember that God's love doesn't coerce us into the kingdom, and nor should we. This is about finding these people of peace. It's about finding people who help build bridges and open doors into a community or a social group who are are open to the reign of God, whether they would say the reign of God, whether they would say the kingdom of God, Maybe they have no idea what those words mean. But they're, but they're open to your relationship. They're opening, open to experiencing something more in their life. 
John Wesley talked about provenient grace um, or, or the ways that God's Spirit was, was working in someone's life even before they had heard or experienced uh, the, the kingdom of God, that, that God's Spirit could be working in their life, doing something already there. And then we come into a situation, into a relationship, into a context, and we start to open our eyes to the ways that God is already beginning to work in that situation. And we may come in and think that we have all the right motives, like we talked about last week. We're, we're trying to love, and some of us are so loving that we've got we to gotta share an, an alert all over the place. We're, you know, just uh, sharing and alerting. But if people aren't, uh, but if people of peace aren't there opening the doors and building bridges, and if they're not there inviting us in, we might be doing more harm than good by forcing our way in. It might be screwing it up for somebody that comes along behind us, another follower of Jesus, who who comes later when God really is working something in their life. <clears throat> and then Jesus tells his, uh, these 70 what it's going to look like them for, uh, to alert people to the reign of God. In verses 7 through 9, he says, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus' first thing is when they go into a house, they are supposed to remain in that house. And so as he sent them out very simply without a purse, without uh, extra provisions for their journey, He wants them to go and stay in that first house. It's not about seeking to upgrade your accommodations. Well, you've let me in and now so-and-so, they've got a nicer house, they've got better food, so I'm going to go stay with them, right? That, that gets into poor motives for announcing the, the reign of God when we're just trying to benefit and upgrade, right? And he wants them to stay in that place. But also, uh, this is an interesting word here because sometimes it's translated as abide or dwell in that same house. And this ties back to um, what Jesus comes and does with us. Jesus comes and abides with us. He says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Jesus wants his, his followers here to go and to abide, to stick with these people, to stay with them. Don't worry about better accommodations. Don't worry about better fare of food. I want you to go and I want you to stick with these people. I want you to experience their life. I want you to sit down and eat with them and drink with them and share those experiences with them. It says, eating and drinking whatever they provide, sitting at the table with people and sharing life. It is amazing. If you just commit to coming and sitting down at the table with people, time and time again, 
and allow conversations just, you know, sometimes the conversations are very surface level. Um, you know, how's the weather? Did you watch the football game? Did you, you know, how, how the kids? Fine, fine, fine. Um, and sometimes that conversation goes really, really deep into people's pains and, and, and their struggles. But it's in committing to come and sit down and eat with them. Join them at the table, listening to uh, their heart and what's happening in their life. It's amazing how that space can open up doors and build bridges. Jesus says, cure the sick and say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It's interesting, um, when these uh, 70 return, um, and Jesus wants to know, how did it go on your journey? They, they come back and they say, it was wonderful, we were casting out demons, demons were listening to us, which is really interesting because this is not in the list of things that Jesus has just told them to do. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't specifically on the list of Jesus' directions, but maybe this is really about becoming aware of the context and the people and the situations facing those people and looking at what it means for the reign of God to be realized in that place. And so it seems as though some of those 70 came into places where there were people dealing with demons. And what the good news meant for the people in that place was to have the demon cast out and to hear the kingdom of God has come near to you. And some of them went into places and they uh, dealt with people who were dealing with physical ailments. And they were able to, to heal them and announce to them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so they went into to different places and they looked around at what the Holy Spirit was doing in that place. And yes, the forgiveness of sins would need to enter into the conversation at some point. But maybe it starts with those that are hungry finding out that the reign of God also means daily bread and the bread of life. Yes, at some point, confession and repentance is going to have to enter into the conversation but also freedom from addictions or abuse or debt. Some folks were going to hear the kingdom of God has come near and they were going to experience that through abiding at the table and sharing life together. Some folks were going to hear the kingdom of God has come near and experience that through being healed of whatever sickness or disease they were experiencing. Some folks were going to hear the kingdom of God has come near and experience that, that kingdom of God drawing near through freedom from demons and demonic systems. And we kind of see that throughout Jesus' ministry that the kingdom of God looks a little bit different in different contexts. There's one experience um, where Jesus announces the kingdom of God and salvation uh, when Zacchaeus decides to return double what he's extorted in taxes from his neighbors. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house when Zacchaeus is willing to go through with that act. 
So we need to enter into a context and see what the Holy Spirit's up to. See what God's up to. See the way God is already moving in those situations. Open our eyes. Last uh, part of Jesus' directions here um, might be some of the hardest for us. Um, some, some words that might be tough for us to hear. Jesus says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. He says, I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Sometimes people just aren't ready for conversations about the reign of God. Sometimes they're just not at a place to have that, go to that place and and have that conversation at that moment. Certainly in this instance, it seems as though Jesus' messengers were sent out for a specific purpose with a specific time frame in mind. And Jesus is saying, uh, you know, don't worry about having a conversation with everyone that you meet on the road. I want you to go abide in the houses. I want you to go to these specific towns. I'm going to be coming and visiting those places. So I'm on on a, a deadline here. So Jesus doesn't want them to, to spend longer time in a place than necessary. They need to alert people to the reign of God who are willing to receive it, and then they need to move on. But I think, also think that sometimes we are sent to a group to abide over a longer period of time. We're called to consistently demonstrate um, what it looks like to live for Jesus, the, the ethics of Jesus. Uh, to be kind and, and compassionate, um, to, to console folks, to, to live out the, the, those fruits of the Spirit. We're called to always do that and to demonstrate the kingdom of God through our actions and to speak about the kingdom um, as that group or person has an openness to conversation. But again, it's not about a colonizing attitude that forces in people into something that they don't want. And I'll say, if it's time to move on, then do no harm. Maybe another follower of Jesus will come down the road and there will be an openness later in that context or in that person's life. And how much easier for that other follower of Jesus if they don't have to sort through a painful or objectionable experience with you. So sometimes, just move on and do no harm. In these stories, we see that these messengers are sent to announce the kingdom of God and prepare the way for Jesus. They are sent out in groups with one another. They are sent to abide with the people of peace in a community or a social context. They are to demonstrate the reign of God in that place. To announce the reign of God in that place. 
And if people aren't ready for it, to move on. This morning I would ask, as we believe that we are all sent, that this is not, uh, participating in the mission of God is not just for people that we call missionaries and send out. They might be sent to a specific context, they might be called for a specific task and a specific purpose, fine. But all of us that are claiming the Lordship of Christ are called and sent So who are you sent with? Who are you sent with? And who are you being sent to? What context? What group of people? What community are you being sent to? My time is up, apparently. (laughs) That's all right. This morning... As those questions linger in our minds, who am I being sent with? And to whom am I being sent? We are going to uh, stand and turn in the blue hymnals or look on the screen to number 226. You are salt for the earth. Jesus calls his followers salt and light sent out to, to season the world with the kingdom of God, sent out to, to, to bear our light, to, to bear the light of the kingdom of God in the places that we go as we are sent out. And so uh, we'll respond this morning if you'll stand and let's sing together, You Are Salt for the Earth. <clears throat>